In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Perhaps you have had that experience of playing a sports game, I don't know, like soccer, under a very strong beating sun, I don't know, at like one in the afternoon on an August in, in a place like Florida or who knows, somewhere really warm. And how the game may be very fun, but at halftime when you get off the field, you are parched, you're just so thirsty. And all you can think about is hydrating yourself, right? getting something to slake your thirst. When we deal with Jesus Christ, when we pray with him, which is what we're trying to do right now, we're having a time of dialogue with you, Lord, here in the Blessed Sacrament. We need to remember that, that, that you, Lord, Jesus Christ, was just as human as you and me. He was a man. He was a man born of a mother in a little town called, well, he was born in Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth. And that just like any other human being, he underwent the same experiences that we do. And so this experience of thirst under a burning sun, surely Jesus experienced, and we know this, we know this because we read about it in the Gospels. Today, Lord, for our dialogue with you, we want to enter into a scene of the Gospel, a scene of the New Testament, and so we turn to that wonderful moment in which we see Jesus in dialogue with the woman from Samaria. And it begins in much the same way as that soccer game that, that I described. The, the writer of this gospel, John, he says, Jesus came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his own son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, wearied as he was with his journey, sat down beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So there's two practical details here that we can focus on. One is that Jesus was tired. He was exhausted. He was exhausted from his journey. He probably had been walking for miles and miles, perhaps several days. Samaria was between Judea and the capital Jerusalem and Galilee. It was between these two regions. And so Jesus had to go through Samaria to go from one place to another. He gets to this well exhausted, much like we would get to halftime of a soccer game, totally spent. Not only that, it's the sixth hour of the day, which is roughly noon, high noon, when the sun is at its apex in the sky and beating down on the land. 
the land of Samaria, which is very dry. And so we can imagine you, Lord, both tired and hot. Your body is like overheated. And so you come to this well, and like any other human being, what is it that you desire? To slake your thirst. To get hydrated. And so this is what you do, Lord. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And then begins this incredible dialogue in which, Lord, your love for souls overcomes your love for water. Your concern for the salvation of a single soul, the soul of this woman, totally trumps your, in a sense, lower passions of tiredness or thirst. As we read this dialogue, we want to pray about the virtue of holy purity because we see here how Jesus invites this woman to return to a life of purity, a life that she had lost. And he does so using the image of water, the image of water that gives life. Give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Lord, when you look at another individual, you don't look at them with these prejudices, the prejudices of race, of custom. For you, this woman is not a Samaritan. She is a child of God. Already we see here that Jesus, in a sense, breaks down these barriers that we in our pride create, in our sensuality we create. And he speaks to each soul with the dignity that they possess. The Samaritan woman is scandalized because Jesus He's breaking two big barriers here. One is that of sex, because men and women normally did not communicate openly in this way, especially if they were alone. But also of race, because he, a Jew, is dealing directly with a Samaritan when they weren't supposed to be doing that. Lord, you break down these superficial barriers and you, you try to, to see each person as they truly are. This is the first lesson of purity, is the quality of our gaze. Let us think about the gaze of Jesus Christ. Let us think about that clean, pure look that Jesus had when he looked at this woman, this woman of Samaria. He doesn't treat her as an object. He doesn't treat her as someone for his own pleasure or use. He sees her and loves her for her own sake. He sees her as a daughter of God. And he looks at her with love, with real love. This is a pure gaze. There's a wonderful letter 
which I highly recommend that everybody read. It's from the Opus Dei website. It's written by the prelate of Opus Dei, Fernando Ocaris, and it's dated November 14th, 2019. You can find it on the website in the section on the prelate. And so it's an entire letter. It's not that long. I don't know, maybe 20 pages. Dedicated to the topic of friendship. To the topic of friendship with God, but also friendship with other people. And it speaks of Jesus as friend. And in, in just a few paragraphs, the, the father, the prelate of Opus Dei, he gives an incredible summary, Lord, of what it was like to be your friend, how you were a friend to your friends. And then later in the letter, it speaks about how friendship is manifested, how friendship is expressed, the friendship between two people, how it, how it actually works. And he says the following, which I think is very interesting for praying about purity. Friendship is especially valuable for that necessary sign of charity, which is understanding other people. True friendship also means making a heartfelt effort to understand the convictions of our friends, even though we may never come to share them or accept them. Thus, our friends help us to understand ways of viewing life that are different from our own, that enrich our inner world. And when the friendship is deep, that enable us to experience the world in a different way. This is, in the end, a true sharing in others' sentiments, which is sharing in their life and in their experiences. Loving others means seeing and affirming them as they are, with their problems, with their defects, their personal history, their social surroundings, and their own times for drawing close to the Lord. Hence, to build a true friendship, we need to develop the capacity to look at other people with affection to the point where we see them with the eyes of Christ. We need to cleanse our way of looking of any prejudice. We need to learn to discover the good in each person and renounce the desire to re remake them in our own image. For friends to receive our affection, they don't need to fulfill any conditions. As Christians, we see each person above all as someone loved by God. Each person is unique, as is each relationship of friendship. And so again, let us imagine that gaze of the Lord at the well of Sikar. As he sits there, thirsting not so much for water, but for souls. He thirsts for your soul and for mine. What is the gaze with which Jesus looks at each one of us? What is that gaze like? How does he look at this woman? This woman who is a sinner. This woman who has offended God. Jesus looks at her and loves her for her own sake. Right? So this is the gaze of purity. 
I remember when I was in high school, I went to an all-boys Catholic school up in Boston. We had a, a religion teacher who was also the football coach. So he was kind of a big guy, kind of gruff, and uh, very manly dude, married with a bunch of kids. And once he gave us a talk on purity, and he, he did not mince words. He said, when you, when you see a woman in an advertisement or in, God forbid, pornography or whatever it may be, try to remember that that is someone's daughter. That is someone's sister. That is someone's mother. That is someone's wife. Which was very powerful to hear that because when we lack a pure gaze, we tend to look at the person as simply an object for our pleasure. We look at them in a, in a utilitarian way. And we have to purify our gaze by looking at the person and seeing precisely that, a person. A person who is in relationships, who has a dignity, who should be treated with the same respect and the same dignity with which we also desire to be treated. And so, Lord, we can ask you, help us to purify our gaze, because so often when we look out in the world, and we're not talking here just about sensuality, our pride, our desire for power, for money, for pleasure, it tends to warp the way we look at things and the way we look at people. And very easily we can fall into the tendency to see people as simply things. As obstacles to our pleasure, or tools for our pleasure. It's amazing in this dialogue, Lord, how you little by little enter into the life of this woman and you help her to raise her sights, recover her dignity, and return to the life of purity that she had lost. There's this talk about water. If you knew the gift of God, this is Jesus, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And so, Lord, you begin to talk about a different type of water than the, the, what's in the well. But, of course, at the beginning, she doesn't understand this, and she, she keeps thinking that it's the water, the H2O, that's there that can be obtained with a bucket. Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, pointing to the well, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. The water that I shall give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then this beautiful response from this woman. Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. We all say the same to you, Lord, right now. Give us this living water. Because so often in the spiritual life, we, we forget to come to Jesus for our water. 
and we, we thirst and we, we hunger for pleasures that don't satiate. We go after these, in a sense, smaller goods, and we treat them as if they are God. And isn't it true that when we give in to these lower passions and put our expectations in them, we create a vicious cycle, a vicious cycle of desire that is unsatiated. And because it's unsatiated, we simply create a deeper and deeper hole in our soul that isn't filled. This is where the Samaritan woman was at. She was very thirsty and her life was frustrated. Her life was frustrated because she couldn't find the happiness that she was made for. And so we can hear her, the, the, the pain of her life coming out in these words, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst. How many people in the world, Lord, are thirsting for a water that will satiate and they don't know where to find it? And they look for it in this hypersexualized culture that promises a pleasure that it cannot possibly provide. And so people fall short, and then they become frustrated, and then they look again, and they keep digging deeper and deeper, trying to find this water, and coming up with, with dry and wounded hands. Lord, the water that you promise us is the life of grace. The water that you promise us is the joy, the pleasure of sharing our lives with you. Because the heart is restless until it rests in Jesus. Lord, our hearts are, are thirsty, they're hungry, they're restless, they're anxious, they're hurting, until they find their place in your heart. And so this is now the clincher, right? Jesus draws out of this woman, he invites her to make a confession to unburden herself of all of the pain of her impure life. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And he whom you now have is not your husband. This you said truly. And with this, the scales fall from her eyes she realizes that the person speaking to her is no ordinary man. And she eventually comes to faith in Christ, and she comes to change her life. She undergoes a conversion. We can imagine the joy with which this Samaritan woman runs back to her town, saying to her, her townspeople, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And how she eventually helps for, for, for many of her friends to convert, to regain a pure life, a life of grace, a life of living water. But of course, there is a detail here which is interesting. After this incredible dialogue, the apostles show up, right? The 12, the 12 men who normally surround our Lord and assist him in his ministry. They went off to get water for Jesus and also groceries and food. And when they come back, John says, 
Just then his disciples came. They marveled, right? They were surprised that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you wish? Or why are you talking with her? They were surprised, of course, Lord, because you lived purity with great refinement. You, you put up guards to protect yourself, to live in, in such a way so as not to scandalize people, so as not to confuse people. Our Lord was celibate. He'd given himself completely to the Father. We who are also struggling to be pure, to keep our hearts centered on Christ, what kind of safeguards do we have to live the virtue of holy purity? Moral theologians speak of the idea of not placing ourselves in a situation of sin. What could, in a sense, lead us remotely into sin? Perhaps there are certain TV shows that, for certain people, are a situation or an occasion of sin. Well, we should be on guard. Right? We should not be so naive as to think that we can handle certain programs that really are, are not appropriate. Lord, help us to have a refined conscience. Help us to establish criteria for our lives that help us to always remain in you. Help us to avoid a double life. Help us to avoid situations in which our heart can be threatened, can be tempted beyond our strength. And give us this water always. This phrase of the Samaritan woman is, is one we can repeat often, especially when we're praying for holy purity. Lord, give me this water that I may not thirst. It's very similar to what the Jews say just two chapters later, again in, in the Gospel of John, in the discourse on the Holy Eucharist, where the Jews who have just experienced the multiplication of the loaves and fishes, they enjoyed that experience so much, the bread that Jesus gave them, that they went and sought him out. And, so, and they say, Lord, give us this bread always. And when Jesus promises them the bread of life, Lord, give us this bread always. We are made for our hearts to be satiated. This is what we all desire. Well, let's work towards it now. Let's find different ways in which we can be more centered on our Lord, saying no to those pleasures that are not of God, that offend him, but also actively seeking our Lord out in little ways. In these days in which we, many of us are deprived of the Eucharist, many of us are deprived of the, the, the ability to attend Holy Mass or, or receive Holy Communion, this is a great time to foster a hunger of the heart, right? a healthy hunger for God, precisely because we have this separation from him. I think it's Shakespeare that says, distance makes the heart grow fonder. Right? In this distance that we are living, this spiritual distance from, from communion, is our heart growing fonder? Is it becoming more hungry for the Lord? If this hunger is properly developed, it's a wonderful way to live purity. Right? Because we're, we're pointing our heart towards the true good, 
and realizing that all these other, these baser goods will not satiate my hunger in the same way as the Eucharist, in the same way as Jesus Christ. Lord, give us this bread always. Give us this water always so that we may not thirst. We ask Our Lady, who was all pure, Our Lady is the model for purity for us. Why? Because she had no other heart than that of her son. Right? She, her heart was immaculate. The Immaculate Heart of Mary was completely identified with the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And so this is what purity is. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. We want to, Lord, be as identified with you and your desires as your mother was. And we ask her that she protect us as we struggle to live the virtue of holy purity. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.